More inflation. What a stupid son of a bitch. Yes, so Bruin versus New York City, or sorry, New York State. Man, I already botched it on the title of it. Um, so pretty much New York State passed a state bill uh, re restricting uh, concealed carry of uh, guns. Now, what this means is they didn't bar carrying handguns, but what they said is they needed to present, uh, quote, a proper cause uh, to a judge and demonstrate that they have a legitimate reason to carry guns outside their home. Um, now, the Supreme Court ruled 6-3 that that was unconstitutional, um, that they do have, uh, that, that the state has the ability to restrict where on public land uh, concealed carry is used, and private, uh, land, uh, private lands have the ability to restrict that, but the government cannot decide to issue it at, based on proper cause uh, justification. Yes. Um, okay. Now, <laughs> Isaac, do you want to go? Do you want to finish your thoughts on that? Sure. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. Like I said, when I first read about the hearing, I was my first thought was like, Jesus, that's a terrible idea. Um, and wow, I don't know how they pass this. But looking at the last few cases, like for example, like a really big, really big case, district District of Columbia v. Heller in two thousand and eight. Um, kind of solidified the solidified the argument, sorry, solidified the idea that the Second Amendment applies to individuals, not militias, which obviously was a huge, I mean, that's like the crux of every gun control argument, right? Is is looking at this one simple phrase, does it refer to individuals or militias? And in 2008, the court ruled 5-4 that it, um, pertain to individuals. Um, let's see, another one, McDonald versus Chicago in 2010, um, basically made that, basically solidified that decision once again um, and applied the 14th Amendment to it, to your right to bear arms. Um, so, so first of all, I do think it's really interesting how the bulk of really important gun um, Supreme Court rulings happened in the last two decades. Um, apparently before that, there were only like literally like a, a two or three. Um, and Peter, maybe you can correct me if not, correct me on that if I'm wrong. But the Second Amendment like wasn't really uh, contested that much in the last like two centuries of our country besides the last 20 years. Um, I don't, I don't know too much about that, but it certainly would not surprise me um, if that were true. Um, Guns were, uh, I think to say, uh, America has a deep history of gun use in the country. Yeah, talk about um, deeply rooted <laughs> yeah, American yeah. traditions. Exactly, yeah. Um, so it's interesting. I, I initially, when I heard the decision, I thought it was a good decision. Um, but then uh, George Will, uh, longtime colonist, now at the Washington Post, um, deep admirer of his, he uh, wrote a column arguing he believes the court got it wrong. 
Um, and I thought it was a very well persuasive argument. Uh, he pretty much laid out the case that yes, individuals have a right to bear arms, but that's not a universal right. Um, it's balanced between the right to bear arms and the personal freedoms and the right of safety, which the state also uh, pertains access to. Um, so I found that very persuasive. Um, I don't buy his argument completely. I still think uh, the court made their the right decision, although I have to say I'm a bit less confident um, than I first was. Um, the reason I stand by why I think it's why the court made the right decision is because of the proper cause case. So let's compare that to any other amendment. So of course, no amendment, no right is absolute. It doesn't take precedent over itself. Like first amendment, you have the right to speech, all that, but there there's like, essentially there's restrictions on speech in this country, of course. Now, where there's restrictions on speech is location. You don't have the right to say whatever you want, wherever you want. I remember, uh, in public school, a teacher uh, using constitutional constitutional reasoning to uh, dispel the reasoning, uh, dispel the logic that uh, I think second grade, me and my classmates made that we have free speech. We actually don't have free speech because we're in a public setting and uh, because we're required to go here, that everyone else would also be required to listen to our speech and therefore we don't have freedom of speech within schools. Now that's an issue of location, not an issue of circumstance. What they're not saying is you have to justify why the speech is important. What they're saying is you don't have the right to say whatever you want here because of the location and the setting we're in. Um, I don't know. What do, you get, what do you guys think of that? And you think that's different than this court, this this case, Bruin versus New York? Yeah. So I think in this case, having to show like this case is all about location. So having to say, show proper cause, relating back to the First Amendment analogy, it would pretty much having to explain to the judge why you're free uh why you should need the right of free speech why do you have proper cause in order to say what you want what so imagine you're trying to get a uh write a paper but instead you have to go to the government and say i i need to explain why i need the right to the uh, right to create this paper and that kind of i'm um, that happened in the french revolution um well i don't want to go delve too, too deep into there because i'll keep us even longer than we are. But yeah, I just, I just don't like the idea of having to petition to the government for a right that's in the constitution. Okay, but if, I mean, you take that logic and you extend it further, then you basically can't have any gun control, right? Because- No, because you, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's absolute. I'm saying you can't petition the government for a specific reason. You can't go and say, this is why I deserve this right. Now, the government can make exceptions and carve outs and say, you can't have it in this location. You can't have it. You can't carry guns in schools, for example. Yeah. There's very valid reasons for that. On many, many, if not most federal buildings and public uh, lands, you can't have guns. The government has a right to relegate what they own, and that is the land. Like, like Pete, um, just, just so we're, we're clear here, what, what, what you're saying basically is that you're not a fan of you know, case by case decisions executed by the government, like basically on their discretion, you'd much rather have um, concrete legislation that applies to everyone that people know exactly when and when they can and cannot carry a gun in public, not like, here's why I want to and the government can say like, yes or no, if they want. Exactly. So I'm okay if the legislature states and makes an exception, um, as long again, there's exceptions within how far they can go. But 
I think most uh, gun control, such as red flag laws, stuff like that, perfectly constitutional. The legislature has the right to do that. What I'm against is legislature that pretty much shifts their responsibility to the courts and the judicial branch. What I don't like is making the judge an arbitrator of who gets constitutional rights and who doesn't. If you're going to apply a law, it should be pretty much equally, as Ethan said. Yeah, I just I, I see the same kind of logic that I was talking about earlier, and I think maybe that's that is a fundamental issue with the um, the originalist way of thinking, right? Because it's it's incredibly black and white. It's and when you're dealing with, and I actually I don't think it's comparable to the First Amendment because you cannot physically harm anybody um, with your language. You obviously there are threats that you can make, but I do think it's different. Um, being able to write a paper anywhere you want about whatever you want and carrying a firearm wherever you want, whenever you want. I do think that's different. So you're, you're saying the second amendment is danger is different because guns are dangerous and can be a threat to people. Yes. Right. Okay. So what if you were to make the case that the first amendment could be weaponized and used to hurt people? So the most famous example is you can't yell, uh, you can't yell uh, fire in a crowded theater. Exactly. Just like you can't yell fire in a crowded theater, I don't think you should be able to carry a handgun in a public school. Well, but, but again, that, that can be weaponized for very like perverse things. So again, we're, that it was all Oliver Wendell Holmes case, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. What that was meant to justify was made uh, handing out anti-war propaganda illegal and gave Woodrow Wilson the power to arrest people handing out anti-war propaganda. And I think that's a, I think that's an, uh, a poor interpretation of that, that Supreme Court case. I mean, I don't think he should have done that. But at the same time, what would you have preferred that that, that, that Wendell Holmes case never happened at all? You know, I, I, mean, yeah. you, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I think if, I think, actually, I, mean, really? I, I, I honestly do. I think, I mean, what are you talking about? <laughs> I, is- I, I think if it's in a private place, then private businesses have the ability to regulate speech. If it's in a public space, if it's in a public location, then they have the ability to regulate speech. But what you can't say is go up to a federal judge and say, am I allowed to say this? For my reason, I need to explain to the judge why I am and why I'm not allowed to explain this. Well, so, so you don't think the judges should be... I mean, if, think, think about it. If, if I... If I wrote a newspaper saying a whole bunch of things that uh, the government did not like, yeah. uh, such, such as anti-war propaganda. If I wouldn't make an anti-Ukraine-Russia uh, war newspaper, um, I do not think I should have to explain why I have the right to print that newspaper to the federal government. Me neither, but I think that writing a paper is different than carrying around a handgun in public. Well, what, what, what if you would say that uh, me writing an anti-Russia-Ukraine war propaganda newspaper would endanger Ukrainian lives. You, you can, the, my, my point is you can take the X is dangerous logic and therefore it can be regulated and therefore you can, the uh, judicial branch can make exceptions to it. But, but I feel and like that's the extreme. But that's why we have Supreme Court judges who are supposed to be, you know, incredibly well-read, incredibly knowledgeable is to make these reason lines because according to your logic, Supreme Court justices, or sorry, justice system in general, exist only to demarcate the polar ends of um, of how to govern. 
So take that, I mean, that same logic, we keep taking logic and applying it to like, we go back and forth between these two amendments, but like what you just said about, um, you know, you don't think you should be able to walk up to a judge and say, can I say this or can I say that? Like, you, you don't think a judge should be in the position to, 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 um, I can't use the word judge because I'm talking about a judge. Decipher. <laughs> to, to decipher whether or not a statement is good or bad, I guess you could say, right? I mean, no, because there's no accountability there. I mean, the legislature could impeach and remove him, and some local judges are elected, but broadly they're appointed in, in for Supreme Court, they serve for life. Um, so in that case, there's no respon- uh, no accountability there. And when you give someone that much power to decide what is free speech and what is not free speech, yeah. and there's no accountability, I, I really see that as dangerous. I mean, but I, as I said, the George Will case and your case is kind of very similar. It's persuasive to me. So I'm just curious, what, what is your limiting principle? For speech or for? Um, for e- either one. I mean, I guess for speech, I mean, I think currently, I think, I think that's one of the best parts about the United States is our, we have very, we are very protective of free speech, but we absolutely do have a line that you cannot cross, right? You cannot threaten somebody. That's, that's illegal. You cannot do that. You cannot say, I'm going to come to your house and beat you over the head. Um, Hence, that's why you see all these tweets that say, I'm going to come to your house, Brett Kavanaugh. And then somebody sub somebody uh, like responds with like at FBI, right? You can't you can't do that. So, yeah. you, so if you, you if you apply that logic to sorry sorry you can go. <laughs> I mean it's tough, but when you are uh, evidently, I mean I'm not saying this in like the most legally correct way, obviously, but like when you're evidently um, invoking harm on another physical harm on another human being. Okay, so if you're fire in a crowded building, that fits that criteria because if you yell fire in a crowded theater, you are maliciously invoking physical harm on other people. Okay, so but then how does that limiting principle apply to the Second Amendment? Sure. Well, you would need well exactly that. You would instead of see that this is this is a great point. Instead of your idea is to drop that limiting principle altogether. But I'm saying you can take, you have to find a new limiting principle, right? So I think, I think what I'm saying is that you need a consistent limiting principle, that the limiting principle that applies to freedom of speech also needs to be applicable to uh, the right to bear arms and also the right of privacy. And I disagree. I disagree I with speech. Yeah, sorry, go Ethan. I think, I think Peter's point may be better served just to say like, in terms of like deciding what the limiting principle is, it doesn't even necessarily need to be like universal, but that limiting principle, how do you decide what the limiting principle is in the first place? Um, like for speech, for speech or for guns or for anything, um, I, I guess the, the limiting principle, at least in Peter's point of view would be, you, you need to decide the limiting principle through the legislative because that's their job. Um, the Supreme Court's not there to decide the limiting principle um, because that's kind of, uh, you know, pushing their own views or own biases onto an issue and not just um, deciphering something that already exists, a limiting principle that's already there. But, uh, but also it is, 
maybe you're saying it shouldn't be the the role of the Supreme Court to find that limiting principle. But the mm-hmm. fact of the matter is that it, it is a lot of it is a lot of the time because the legislature and this is kind of the reason for the court, right? You 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 cannot. It is a phys- it is an impossibility to legislate for all possible circumstances in society, right? It's too busy. There's too many there's too many different actors. So you need the justices to to do that, to find that limiting principle. That's a good point. That's and, a good and, point. And how, and how, is, and how do they do that? I guess what's what's reasonable within our within the bounds of our society. That's a that's a good point. Is is yeah, I mean like like you said, right? It's impossible to like make laws completely airtight and and yeah. Yeah, but 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 what's the limiting principle of that? We're gonna we're gonna get into limiting limiting principleception. Well, yeah, really. Um, so one thing you said within the realms of our society, or sure, yeah, I'd be easily be butchering that. But how, how to what degree does it need to maintain relevance to the actual law at hand? What what, what what's the, because I think we agree that there needs to be some balance. I think we disagree over the balance, but how do you think that balance should be determined? So for example, Second Amendment explicitly says like the right to uh, bear, uh, bear arms. Uh, how 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 is that bearing arms? How how do you define that? How do you balance that with what greater society means? Well, how do I mean? How you. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, that's kind of like, that is like the central question of governance is right. Is this balancing what the law says? Well, more specifically, the central question of American governance, because we have a very, we are, we are a constitutional, our government is is highly based on the constitution. Right. And I think unlike other countries, we are, are, citizenry is highly, highly dedicated to not deviating from that, right? We're very, we're very, I mean, hence- Not, you know, not all of our citizenry. <laughs> not all of our citizenry, but, uh, but a lot of them. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Should, should we, I'm, I'm sure we could talk about this forever, but should we move on to a different topic? <laughs> sure, my, my final opinion on this is that yeah. it's a bad idea and- Last- what like it is I, I remember you said this earlier, Peter, that the Supreme Court and courts in general should not account for um, current events in their rulings, right? That they should just look at the law and what that what it says and what they think it sh- how it should be interpreted, right? And I think this court case is an example of how that could go wrong because right now our country is a very, very chaotic place where there are, um, I mean, we have, a, we have a huge gun violence issue unlike any other developed country, right? And we also have a mental health crisis going on right now. So, you know, if I'm talking to the justices, do you interpret this law as anyone can carry a handgun? Sure. Do you think it's a good idea to do that right now? It, it, it can't, you can't say it's a good idea. I mean, but but what what why is that the okay no well, Peter why is final, it, oh, final so, words Peter final one one words, hold on he one one quick thing why is that the role of the judicial the branch why 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 because constitutionally speaking the ability to evolve around current events and we'll the ability to resolve this make laws the ability to make laws is 
in Article 1 to the Congress, to the legislature, whether it be federal or state. But what, what, where, where does the judicial branch get the power to legislate or make laws based on current events? All right, awesome. Those are your final words, Peter. And we're moving on to another topic now. All right, all right. Um, all right, what, what, what's next? That is a good point. That was a good point, Peter. Um, it is. Um, this see. has been a very interesting conversation. I'm going to have to like really reflect later on. Like, yeah, I, yeah I really like what we're talking about with the, the philosophy of the limiting principle, who has that say, and how do we yeah. get there? Yeah, no, that was good. Yeah, this is gonna be this is gonna be a pretty dense podcast for some people out there. I think, or actually, pretty much for anybody. This is gonna be. Oh yeah, for some people, dense for me. This is gonna, I know, right? I'm like, I, man, I'm 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 um I'm really gonna have to like really reflect on some of my opinion. There's some yeah, good good points brought up on here. Mm. Um, I mean, I I Isaac made me uh kind of just blurt out that I support overthrowing a Supreme Court case when I didn't even really consider it for that much. So. Yeah, 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 for really, yeah. I, I, mean, I think, I think you should be able to yell fire in a crowded movie theater. Yeah. Gut reaction, like, yeah, but I was like, maybe I, maybe I should think about that for a bit more. Not your libertarian coming out. And I'm exactly, yeah. Sometimes. I know. I'm sitting here <laughs> like, I'm going to have to. Yeah. What's yeah. next? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need a license to make toast in my own damn toaster? Like. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, uh, all right, Pete, what, what's what's next? Pete, on the list? So next we have the Environmental Protection Agency against the state of West Virginia. So uh wait, hold on. I, In, yeah, why don't why don't you why don't you give us a little a little uh synopsis on on what is going on exactly and then we can hop into whether it was a good decision or not. Um yeah, go go for it, Peter. All right. So um, let's travel back in time to believe the Nixon administration, could be wrong, but who passed the Clean Air Act and pretty much administered the uh, newly minted Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, uh, various uh, executive uh, agency powers. Pretty much uh, they could enact policies from the executive branch um, to deem pretty much what the bill allowed them to do. But the problem is with any language of any bill, some words are vague. So this in particular pertains to uh, carbon. So the EPA uh, wants to do a what they call a generation shift from coal and to natural, natural gas to renewables such as wind and solar, as well as potentially nuclear. Um, West Virginia is suing the EPA, saying they do not have the authority to do so. Congress never gave them the authority. Um, the specific text that goes pertains to carbon uh, regulation says uh, the EPA uh, should impose, quote, the best system of emission reduction, end quote, uh, for carbon. Um, so the Supreme Court ruled 6-3 that the uh, legislative uh, bill, the Clean Air Act, did not give the EPA the explicit right to regulate carbon, and therefore uh, they do not have the ability to do so unless the uh, Congress passes a new bill explicitly allowing them to do so. Hmm. Um. Yeah, so my thoughts on it, I don't like it. <laughs> 
at all. Surprise, surprise. I know. I, um, it's kind of similar, uh, similar point to what I was saying earlier. I It's like, um, you know, when we have skyrocketing gun violence, very unique to our country, is it a good time to pass a law that lets you carry a handgun whenever you want? No. On the other, similarly, in a time where we are in uh, the midst of an environmental crisis, is it a good idea for our government to roll back regulations on the, in, on, I don't want to say institutions, on the actors who are perpetuating the crisis? No, it's, it's a terrible idea. And the only reason that I'm not more upset about it is that from what I read, it only strikes down one of the EPA's strategies for limiting uh, emissions. Um, and they still have they still have a lot of the power that they did before this. So while it, I don't think it's going to be catastrophic, it is going to harm our, what I think is inevitable, which is our march away from the, the terribly harmful fossil fuels and towards renewable, renewable, and renewable energy. Yeah. I, um, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I don't think I'm, I'm very constitutionally qualified to talk about, about this, this one. Um, I guess what, so, so Congress said they're, they're able to limit it. And the best method possible was basically their like, yeah, the, the best system that the they best have system that they, that they have. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess, I guess I don't know the, the history of court cases as far as like granting specific rights to executive branches. I, I can imagine that placing carbon emission like limits is a pretty solid way to, to limit emissions. I have to imagine is probably one of the most effective, um, which, which like, so, so the, the idea that they're not granted that power might be a little bit like a little up in the air, like, I mean, like a little questionable. They did, yeah. they did kind of say that, that they can limit it in the best method available. And like, I mean, that obviously gives that, that agency really, really broad power. Um, but like, I mean, not really, really, I, I would say, I would say really broad. Um, but like, yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. It, it, it does, it does sound like to, in, in my, in, it, it sounds like limiting emissions would be a pretty solid way, would be probably at least one of the best ways to limit emissions. You know what I mean? Um, I, I mean, like, I'm a little bit conflicted on this issue, like personally, not constitutionally, because as much I, I am big envi pro environment, but I also hate the government. So when I get when I get to see them get their power taken away, it does make me a little bit happy. Um, ah. But, but, um, uh. but I, I, I also really like winter and I don't want it to go away. Um, so Oh no! You'll you'll still have winters. They'll just be unbearably bitter and painful. painful. You heard that thing? Great skiing, no? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You woo blizzards all year in, in Canada. Yeah, no, I, I I have heard it's a lot less like global warming and a whole lot more like extreme weather events. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. Which I mean, like, if it gets me that those few extra feet in the ski season. <laughs> Maybe, maybe the maybe the Supreme Court had a point. Is all I'm saying. Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe we can afford to lose a little bit of land on the coasts. Yeah, I know, right? Okay. Just kidding. Um, 
Yeah, no, I, I, don't, I don't know. It, it, it is an interesting case because it kind of does sound like they had the authority, but, or, or, but I, I yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, Pete, any, any thoughts on that? Um, actually, yes. So... No, no way. Surprise, <laughs> wow. Pete's, Pete's opinionated. Oh my God. Yeah, I know. Um, so I agree to the extent that if the EPA is looking for one of the best systems to reduce emission reduction, uh, to reduce emissions, yeah, that is a fairly effective way. My problem with it is more on a separation of powers basis. And I'll admit here, it kind of strays a bit from the constitutional and more into the philosophical. Um, I'll get to where I think it's grounded in the constitution just a bit, but I think that, well, I, I don't have to get into just a bit, I can just do it now. So article one gives explicit powers to legislate to the executive, or sorry, the legislature branch, branch. And I think one of the biggest things that we've seen is power evolving to the executive branch. Absolutely. And I see that as a major problem, I mean, in general, but also explicitly when Congress does not specifically authorize it. I, I mean, I think part of the reason is because Congress is lazy that they, the, the fact that they could not do, they could not be any uh, better than quote best system, that that's the best they could do. Um, that, that was by intent. That wasn't like an oops, oops, like we did not mean to be that vague. No, that was intent because if they were to be any specific, if we said this is the specific power we delegate to the EPA, then there'll be a certain amount of voters who'll be very angry at the people who vote for them and then they get elected and uh, that gets to an entirely different rant in general. But how could they, how could they do it any other way when, I mean, we talk about technology changing, what technology changes more than energy, right? And, and how do how to decrease things like emissions. Yeah, and then that, that that's why it should be left to Congress because Congress is inherently political and politics is reactionary. Legal doctrine is not. Legal do doctrine is set in something much firmer in either the stone of the constitution or I guess the mud, which is evolving law. And until Congress does not actually tell uh, the EPA what they want them to do, if they're keep being vague like that, then you can take that again to the extreme because of the same problem of the limit, limiting principle. I mean, the best system of emission reduction. By that, the EPA could go and arrest anyone who drives a car or emits any carbon. I think we'd all think that's absurd, but by the quote of the law, that would technically, I guess, by some interpretation, uh, be consistent. So I understand that by the bill's own text that the EPA can derive power from it. I just don't think the vagueness uh, should be upheld by the courts. You could also make the argument that they only have the authority to do the best one. So they'd have to pick one strategy that they thought was legitimately the top, the top dog and like pursue it to their fullest extent. And anything that wasn't the most effective would not be under their authority. Well, but, but what is the most effective? Like you, I'm right, like I'm yes, scientists yeah, having right. this debate, and they all come with different answers. Right. You don't. Then if there's no consensus, answer. then what does that mean? If there's no consensus, do they just like pick one out of a hat? Does it mean no one gets it? What does it mean? It's, yeah, it's right. Congress did a lot of problems when they made this law, and that's haunting us now. Um, yeah. But get back to Isaac's point that pretty much that is a crisis, and that stuff needs to happen now. Again, I see just see that as a problem when you're doing it when you're involving the Supreme Court people who are unelected, people that 
need immense support, immense coalitions to take down. They serve for life. I just don't think they should have that power given a crisis. I think that that's Congress's job to do something. And if Congress is not doing their job, then it's up to the people to make them do their job and stop delegating their power to the courts. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I guess my problem with that would be like, I think you're doing um, a little bit of what people do on a lot of these Supreme Court cases where like constitutionally, like you might not like it that the EPA was given that much authority, but weren't they kind of given that much authority? Like, didn't Congress kind of cede that to them? But, but again, by that logic, then they have the authority to march in and arrest everyone who's driving a car. Yeah, it kind of sounds like they do. I don't like it any more than you, but like, I think Congress might have fucked up. Like, I think they gave them way too much power. So, uh, so that might be on Congress. So the legal doctrine that they use to- like, is, it, is it the Supreme Court's job to decide that Congress went too far? Or is it Congress's job to say, hold on, guys, we, we need to pass, we made a mistake. We need to pass new legislation and, and tell the EPA that they have some limiting principles. So what the Supreme Court said is, if you look at the bill of the text, executive agencies need direct orders from Congress in order to enact a program or an action or act or whatever it is. Okay. And looking at the text, they did not do that. They said the best system, but it's because they did not explicitly yeah. state what system, then it's invalid and therefore does not go through. So the legal doctrine is much here, too like general. Um, yeah. So the legal doctrine used yeah, okay, just of that enough. was the major questions doctrine. Um, and I think this is where the uh, dissent does have some legitimacy. I think it was Sotomayor pointed out that this is the first time major questions doctrine was actually used in a majority decision. So before it's oh. never been directly used before. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but I guess now that it's been used, it's precedent and now it's used. Um, but now that, that it's that used, we're going to get to see the government get a lot of power taken away. Things are, things, let's get this ball rolling. We're going to see, we're going to see if heads roll. On, on. It's going to go back to 2003. Just, on, just yeah. to clarify, so if Congress were to uh, either write a new Clean Water Act or fix that one, to to be more specific, then would the Supreme Court have to go on go off of that? Would it change this? Would it change this ruling? Absolutely. And in fact, that that was written in the majority opinion. They said this is Congress's jurisdiction. jurisdiction. Um, so the, the, the one that this bill was, uh, I think it was cap and trade, which is like a soft carbon tax. Um, so they said in the majority opinion that if Congress goes back and says, yes, the EPA is allowed to uh, car tax carbon or to do this policy to fight uh, carbon or emission reductions, then they have the ability to do that. But the problem is because Congress did not explicitly state that, then the EPA does not have that authority. I think I'm going to ask one question. I think this is probably going to be like music to your ears. I think I already know what your answer is going to be. But like if, if Congress has to grant specific authority to an executive agency for each action that they take, like what's the limiting principle on like specific? Like at a certain point, what is the use for executive agencies if Congress has to pass something very specific every single time to tell them to do anything? Wouldn't it be easier for Congress to just specifically pass the thing? And I know you're like, yes, <laughs> let the executive agencies burn. Um, but like, but do you want to like basically re repeat the line? I'll say, and I'll say something after Peter. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, so well, what's your line, Ethan? I really like that. Let the executive agencies burn. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just going to DC, there are ugly buildings. Like, you know, that, that's, it's good law value. You know, they could build a lot of stuff there. No, 
Um, I, I think a, executive agencies have way too much power, and that is what Congress is supposed to do. You know, uh, we've never seen this money, this much executive agencies in 100 years ago, and even 50 years ago, we didn't have this much executive power. Again, this goes to the problem of Congress is just not wanting to do their job. This one, the biggest things that would confound the founders more than anything if they were to come see today is that there were always fear that uh, the legislative branch would be uh, tyrannical. Uh, no, they actually gave their powers away to the executive. Sorry if that was me that. No, that was very good. Um, yeah, I just want to respond. First of all, that's a very fair point, Peter, that they would be just absolutely perplexed. Um, but on the point of, I'm sorry, on the point of why we need powerful agencies that can do things that the legislature can't and why we didn't need them 50 and especially 100 years ago, I think, is because society has become highly specialized in a way that it wasn't 50 years ago, and it certainly wasn't 150 years ago, and it certainly wasn't at the founding of the country, right? So one of the benefits of having, um, and this is this is going to sound kind of anti-democratic of me, but one might, of the benefits- I might get cut off by Zoom, by the way, at, at some point. Damn, this is my, this is the best point I'm going to make all night. <laughs> I'll say it. I'll just get cut off. Are you going to make another one, Peter? I'll make a new one right now. Okay. okay. So I'll just say, so in response to what you were saying, Peter, about how the executive branch um, has, a, as compared to what the founders thought has unparalleled power and its agencies are, are really um, expansive in their authority in our society. And I was saying uh, one of the reasons for that and kind of an unavoidable reason is that compared to when our country was founded, our society become highly highly specialized and one of the benefits of having a branch with unelected leaders that right so they these are these are bureaucrats not chosen by the people is that we can have experts right is that we can have an epa with people who have their phds in environmental science and ecology and stuff like that um and we can have um you know like the irs is full of people who know the tax code in and out um should be funded a little more but we can get it but we can get into that in another podcast um <laughs> defund the irs <laughs> but my, my yeah, point is the legislature there is no guarantee that you are going to get um qualified people hence the kind of politicians we have today right with the executive branch <laughs> we're gonna get eric brighton of, yeah of course there are no there are no guarantees um but you have the ability to get experts where and um you know these experts can create essentially i mean regulations are to the executive as laws are to legislative right in i i mean i read i read this one article that said that the executive branch if you compare regulations and laws the agencies within the executive branch pump out way more regulations a year than the legislature pumps out laws no way I know, right? It's, it's insane. It's also kind of done on purpose to a certain extent because they want to make it hard for like legislation to pass to, to make sure that like all things are considered. But also like, yeah, yeah there's and, and, obvious trade-offs to that too. Yeah. yeah, to a certain extent that is absolutely necessary because, you know, back to the EPA example, you know, the EPA is full of experts and we need that in our government. So the problem I see is when you kind of say experts, you're, you're, you're kind of alluding that 
because they're ex experts, because they have the most expertise, because they've studied this for a while, yeah. then they're, they're they, they know more than Congress, which I certainly agree with, but therefore there's some sort of consensus. And that's where I disagree. The consensus among who? But that's the thing. So which experts are in the EPA right now? It's going to be the ones Biden appoints. Which experts were in the EPA four years ago? It's the one well, Trump points. Well, Therefore, right. both both Trump and Biden, which I disagree with their environmental policies at different stages, but they both are able to recruit experts who just pretty much echo the policy points that they want anyway. But that and is that's there, not an issue with the foundation of our branches. That is an issue of partisanship. But, the, but otherwise it becomes a violation of the separation of powers because then you think, you're pretty much giving the legislative powers uh, to in, in just indirectly to the president because you're telling the president that you can do this. You just you can't do it. You can you have to appoint people to do this. Do you think it would be better if um, like people in in like executive agencies were in some way, shape or form appointed by the legislative branch? Uh, yes, me. I certainly don't. I certainly don't. I I do not want a Republican-led Congress picking the members of the EPA. I think it's bad enough that Donald Trump did that. But I mean, that's why we need. Yeah. That's why we need serious presidents. I mean, I think we can all agree that Donald Trump was not a serious president. Yeah. You appoint the uh, you know, an an, an oil would, to the to head I, the EPA. I'm gonna yeah, go a step I, further than you want to say. All right, you can go, Ethan. I would, I would agree. I'm going to go a step further than you, Isaac. I would agree that Trump is not a serious president, and I would take it to even further to say that our current president is not a very serious president. Um, I think he's more serious. Well, yeah, of course, he's not on Twitter saying like, well, maybe I shouldn't say he's not on Twitter saying the same thing, but he's not saying the same like type of rambunctious, crazy things that is Donald he, Trump he, was saying. Is he senile? Absolutely. Saying, yeah, is he senile? Yet he's still somehow more grounded in reality. He's 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 definitely better and more serious, um, and doesn't like yeah literally make a joke of the presidency. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, he, he, there's he, there's problems on that on that party train too. Uh, yeah, sorry, well, Peter. I I would take it a step further and say yes, we want a normal president, but more than anything, I I don't want to have to rely on one person in order just to be good because I know that's unrealistic. So therefore, I'm gonna go to something that's even more unrealistic and want a working Congress. And I think the first way to do that is return the power away from the executive and give it back to the legislature. And actually, like, I don't know how you tell them that, hey, you have powers. You don't have to stop complaining about this stuff. Because so one of the things that's bugged me is uh, Elizabeth Warren, AOC, and all these congressmen, and, you know, Republican congressmen are guilty of this too. But they say, oh, my God, X just happened. This is horrible. How can you let this happen? And like, you're in the legislature. You can make it not happen. You could propose a bill. You could actually work and to do something, but the problem is they all have other aspirations. The other, they all have other political go goals that the incentive structure is not actually set up currently in the way it is for them to have any incentive to actually do something. It's all about pawning it off to this executive agency so they can just complain about it on Twitter. Yeah, but that's, I, I would, I, first of all, that's a very good point, and I agree with a part of that. Yeah. Where I don't agree is you said the first step to a work in Congress is to give their power back. I totally disagree with that. I don't, I really don't. I mean, a lot, all three of our branches of government are to a degree very dysfunctional right now, right? Um, and
I think the first step in, in fixing Congress is um, cam, uh, campaign and finance reform. Um, I, I, I firmly think that is easily, that is the first step because I think that's one of the, the largest, if not the largest polarizing factor. Um, and and I, I think, so, I, so I'll, I'll back up a little bit. I think the worst problem in Congress right now is partisanship, is, is extremely rigid partisanship. And I think yeah. a lot of that comes from um, legislators not listening to their constituents because most Americans are not polarized, they're somewhere in the middle, but instead looking at who is giving them money. Do you think uh, term limits would help a lot too? Absolutely. God, absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. Also, I'm going to, I'm going to bring up one point, um, not even about the topic at all. Uh, it is 940 in the interest of time. Um, and the fact yeah. that Isaac has to go in 20 minutes, um, we can, we can like have some final points, but do you guys want to move on to the, the prayer coach ordeal? Cause I know that's one that Isaac has some particularly, uh, fiery, fiery opinions on. Yeah. Um, he I, wants to say one more hear. thing about this, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So for the sake of time, I won't share my thoughts on the campaign finance, but I'll just say one. So how, how do you see legislature getting back their powers and actually wanted to legislate if it's going to be very easy for them just to pawn it on off to the executive? What, what, what incentive structure do you set up in order to make it worth their interest in order to actually legislate? Sure. Well, right now there is a feeling of there is a feeling that there is gridlock in Congress. And I'm sure there is a lot of, there are a lot of positive behaviors, right? Uh, useful things that Congress people could do that they do not even try because they know that is so gridlocked that they can't get anything done, right? And I think that part of reducing that gridlock and reducing that partisanship is taking away all the funding from these highly partisan uh individuals corporations and think tanks um because i think if if we do that and it might take some time but after a few years after a few decades maybe um these these legislators will realize that they are the the voice that they need to be listening to are the american people who are not crazy partisan maybe they're getting there but but this gridlock Pre predate that, like since gridlock and partisanship. Oh no, oh no, certainly not. Yeah, I, I don't mean to be. I don't mean to for my opinion to be uh, interpreted that way. But I think we can agree it's gotten worse over the last twenty five years, thirty years. I think when we get to worse, maybe, arguably, possibly, yeah. But I, I so I was recently reading about Congress in uh the Reconstruction era when there's the radical Republicans uh versus President Johnson. And the Democrats, who some settled for Johnson, not a whole lot really liked Johnson, but it was very fierce partisanship, yet they were still able to get stuff done. Part of the reason is because radical Republicans did have a large majority and were able to get stuff done. Yeah. Um, once Johnson was out, that is. Um, but while Johnson was in there, there was a lot of gridlock. Um, but still, all the laws still came from Congress because there was no executive agency, or there was very little power executive agencies could do. But see, that, that goes back to what I was saying about how society back then was far less specialized and you didn't really need, you know, if you had a legislator who was highly knowledgeable about society in general, maybe he could make, maybe they could make really good judgments on a lot of different parts of society. But now um, 
you can't really be an expert in everything, right? You know, you have, you, you should be listening to people who are advanced in their field um, as far as possible. Yeah. I think the problem is that then we circle back into like the who pits because there's lots and lots and lots of people who are really advanced in their field. A lot of them who very much have very opposite beliefs of one another. So then it becomes who gets to choose, who gets to put those people in positions of power? Well, I guess you are right. Okay. All right. Yes. Yeah. Wait, I can we can't. Sorry, I don't, I don't want to. I, 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 I won't let you end on your right. No, no, no. We can go. We can go. We can go. I think, no, I think, I, I, we, I think we, Isaac, finish your thought. Yeah, you can go ahead. I was going to say that's true sometimes and true not sometimes. So, for example, you know, most, a vast majority of, of climatologists agree that climate change is happening, is urgent, and there needs to be government action. Right. I mean, like, and, and, and sure, there are, there are. And it's being caused by humans. It's and, another big one that a lot, that it's pretty, that's pretty, uh, pretty big consensus on. So um, well, why do I think an agency full of those people is good? Well, because if they were chosen by the legislative, you know, there's like, there's like 26 Republicans in the Senate, not the House, but the Senate, which is supposed to be more tempered, right? Um, who have signed like a, uh, not like a, a binding contract but like a an oath to not do anything about climate change ted, this, look, ted cruz is like the first one to do it yeah Black. okay so that's, that's good work. so that's a good i think we know where everyone stands on on this one it's pretty good um I, i'm gonna ask i'm gonna ask one fun question before we move on and i want literally one word answers like yes or no um do you think do you think we're, we're approaching a point where specialization is going to be such that like you can't even become an expert in a field basically because we've like gotten to the point where, where it takes too much time for people to learn everything about their respective fields that they will be able to make progress in, in those fields or like significant progress. One word answer. No, but I, so one word answer now. Yeah. One word, one word answer now too. I like to think so too. I think, I hope, I hope like we get some crazy fucking Neuralink technology that helps us out in that approach too. I think, and I, and I honestly don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that they could, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Well, isn't the word um, expert like relative? Like, yeah, I, I, I suppose you're right. Um, but no, I, I, I'll, I'll agree with you guys. I hope, I hope, uh, I'd like to think that there's definitely ways that won't happen. Um, and I, I'm sure we'll keep making, keep making those big strides. But anyway, on to prayer coach decision, because this is going to be a fun one. Um, you said, oh, I, oh, um, I, yeah, Kennedy Bacon or Kennedy. Yeah, the Kennedy. Kennedy, Kennedy. Bremerton. So um, I guess, Pete, do you want to do like a extra, extra speedy one about this one? Sure. And I want so to say one was... thing and then I'm going to let Isaac rant. <laughs> the year was 2015 and I think Washington, Washington State, I think. Um, anyway. So um, there's this football coach, Coach Kennedy, um, and it was a tradition, a tradition when he was hired to give motivational speeches in the locker room. Um, so he started doing that, um, and then he started to invoke religion. And then when that happened, he realized, okay, maybe I should not be invoking religion in my motivational speeches, uh, but religion was important to him. So what he started doing was at the end of the game, he would be prey on the 50-yard line following games. Um, then he invited his students, 
um, and players to pray along with him. Uh, he did that for thought, a number of years. They, I thought they wanted to. I, did, I didn't think he invited them. I thought they like spontaneously were like, no, we no, want to pray super badly. Yeah, so there he was like, you guys can join me if you want. Like, you don't have to. Like, anyone who wants yeah, to, can join me. And he did that for a number of years. And then the school district said, you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to invite students. Um, and because of, I forget the Supreme Court case, but uh, Kennedy admitted the school district was right and no longer gave the students the option to pray with him. He just went out after games and just did like a 15 second prayer. Um, that was it. Um, so I used, he did for three days following that. And by that point, it started to become a uh, kind of like a local news issue. So uh, the first day after he was told he was not allowed to do it, um, he was not allowed to invite uh, students to do it. The opposing team actually ran out on the field, uh, not at the behest, behest of Coach Kennedy on their own volition, and just came out and just kneeled uh, around him. And then following that, all sort of news media and journalists who were actually not allowed on the football field thrown on the field so they could take pictures of that. Uh, then the next two days, it was made clear that uh, players were not allowed to join uh, Coach Kennedy. Uh, he was simply allowed to do it by himself. But after the third day of him doing it by himself, he was fired. So he decided to sue uh, Bremerton. Um, Isaac, I'll let you go first because um, I know you have you had a lot of uh, formulative ideas on this. Yeah, uh, just for the people listening, um, Peter and I are in a group chat um, where we talk about stuff like this. And what they were referencing before is that I the day I think I think the day that happened, maybe the day after, I just had a lot of opinions to say in the chat. And Peter and I were going back and forth, and I was. <laughs> I don't, Peter and Ethan don't know this, but while all those messages were sent, I was actually in the supermarket and I was just so like heated about it that I would just like shop, stop in the aisle, like text a little bit, like keep shopping, text a little bit. Like people probably think I'm a fucking psychopath. That's hilarious. Um, very online. <laughs> very, dude, ter terminally online. Um, but yeah, I, I am... Personally, a huge proponent of the idea of separation of church and church and state. I think that it's one of the one of the many things that makes our country incredibly uh, unique. Um, and I think that anything that would blur the lines between the the church's role in our state um, is no good. is is dangerous. And I know I, when we were talking about this, I mentioned that this opens up the gates to a lot of things that are worse than this, right? I mean, it's easy to imagine a coach quietly praying on a 50 yard line and saying, you know, why, why, why should he not have the right to do that? Right. He has a first amendment, right. Um, but I think the idea that he, so this is a, this is a public school, correct? I mean, this is why this whole thing yeah. happened, right? So as a coach, he is a he is technically a government employee. While you might not think like that, he is because he's working for yeah. a public school. And as a figure of the public school, I I personally think that inviting students to pray with him to a point where half the team is praying with him of these these high school these high school boys, I think that's endorsing a religion, which I think goes against the First Amendment, which protects um or sorry it forbids the state which in this case would be this this high school right from endorsing a certain religion now i understand that 
this is voluntary. And I, I understand that, but you also have to think of the consequences of a student seeing his entire team praying with his public school coach. I, I personally cannot see how that's not an endorsement of religion, Peter. So when it came to the actual legal question, and this is where I was mistaken when I was uh, talking to you, um, the case itself was not about engaging with other players. When you engage with other players, when you give them the option to join, uh, according to precedent um, that I'm blanking on, uh, but that that is unconstitutional. Um, so Coach Kennedy would not be allowed uh, to pray with our students. But if he's doing it by himself, then it depends on two do- doctrines. So there's the free expression clause, uh, which pretty much says, is he being excluded? Is he being penalized for practicing religion? I think that is yes. He, he's being uh, penalized. He's uh, being punished in some way. He got fired uh, because he was acting on his religion. Now, there's also the free speech clause, which I think you were getting up, Isaac, and kind of hits on a subject we've on before. But does he have full freedom of speech in this regard? Now, if he's a government, if he's praying as a government employee, then he does not, and therefore it's restricted. Now, what I would argue is that he's not doing it as a government employee, but he's doing it as a private citizen because he's doing this after the game. Uh, he's on the fifty-yard line because following the game, he goes out, shakes hands with all the officials, signs up. I don't know if they sign any forms, but pretty much close the game with the re- uh, referees and ends it. And then he just gets on his knee for fifteen seconds after the game. To me. He goes off the clock as soon as he signs all those papers. And the reason for that is because everyone else is. Once that happens, all the coaches are free to attend personal matters. Um, there's a meeting. I think the coaches had a meeting like after the game, after that. But in that time when uh, he's praying and he's wrapping it up, um, there's a gap where coaches are allowed to go visit their families. They're allowed to uh, take personal phone calls. They're allowed to in- indulge in their private lives. The players, unless they have something to attend afterwards, they're also free to go. So in that instance, unless it's a team mandated activity, then there's no mandate for any public employee or student to be there. So therefore he's acting as a private citizen. Do you know for a fact that he was not literally on the clock right after the game? Yes, I think there may have been some instances before the school told him uh, that he's not allowed to do that, that he was, but that was not what the case was regarding. The case was specifically regarding those three days after the school told him he was not allowed to pray uh, with students. So I'm just, I'm just, I find it hard to believe because we keep saying on the clock and I guess I, I guess legally you do need to make that distinction. I personally think that as long as he is on the field in his coach wear representing the school, he should not be leading prayer at all. Personally, legally, I understand that you need to have a distinction of being on the clock versus off the clock because you're right. When you're on the clock, you're a government employee, and otherwise you are a private citizen. I'm just, I just find it baffling that, because what is after a game, right? It's probably like five minutes after, right? Let's let's say it's 10 minutes after, right? I was an athlete in all high school and all college, and not after one competition did the coach leave immediately 10 minutes after not in one situation where they off the clock 10 minutes after that's not how sports work. I mean, the coach hangs out with the team for like half an hour, 45 minutes after what, what if uh, they're not at um, 
Coach Kennedy's school? What if they're on the bus, right? If the game ends at 7 p.m., but their bus rides an hour home, there's no way he's off the clock at 7 p.m. He needs to go home with the kids. So I couldn't find the answer to this question. Um, and I guess I'm just going to keep looking for it. But if he was on the clock, I, I just find it such a breach of the concept of separation of church and state. And the last thing I'll say in my, this little rant is you want to talk about longstanding American traditions. Does, does the separation of church and state not apply? So you, you've made a bring out a good point. I'm not sure if the court like actually addressed that or answered that in terms of, like the bus thing. Um, but I guess, yeah, he would be on the clock because he is a responsibility. Uh, get on, he, also, also did, did he return back to the team after the prayer? Cause that would be kind of damning. I think if, I don't he, think if he returned not, back to the he team, return say, back to the coaches, I'm not fully confident in that. Um, but that's what I believe is accurate. Um, he also, and this wasn't what the court case was about, but he also did it, um, in the locker room before games and after games. And that, that's Mm. off the record because it, um, wasn't what the Supreme court case was about. Yeah. So that, that he, his team acknowledged, uh, was unconstitutional. That was deemed unconstitutional. That his his lawyer his legal team admitted that, and even before that, um, because the school asked him, he, the school pretty much went up and said you can't involve players when you're doing this. Uh, first they said you can't do the locker room, and then they started doing it on the field, and then that's when the local media uh, started getting attention to it, and they said you can't do this with the students. So he said, fine, that's fine, I'll just do it by myself. And the school initially said that was okay, but then he did it three days by himself, and it was still getting local media attention, so they sacked him. Um. But let's go back and say, like, he was technically on the clock. Um, I'm not entirely sure if this is applicable, but I thought this was an interesting conversation we had. Um, so let me name an example. Isaac, uh, you didn't think it should apply, so I'll let you explain uh, why. But let's say uh, there's, going back to the executive agencies, there's um, an executive uh, agency chairman uh, who's Muslim. And if you're Muslim, you have to pray, I believe, like five times during the day um let's say you did that either in your office or let's say you did that on the roof um you did it in a public space you didn't invite other employees to join um you just did it um in a public space would you have a constitutional right to do that to express your religion even if it's in a public uh, place in front of other public employees i would argue yes and isaac you hinted at if you going back into rooted uh, American tradition, the separation of church and state, that was meant as in a, well, that 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 was meant in a way that religion should not influence the state and state should not influence religion. It was a separation, but not necessarily a wall. So, for example, in the early days of the House of Representatives, they would co- occasionally hold search uh, or church service in the uh, House chamber. Um, a lot of uh, governments did this actually. Um, I don't have a problem with that. Personally. Yeah, I mean, is that is that unconstitutional? That's a, that's you like you don't have a problem with that, Ethan. No, I do. I would have a problem with that. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I would very, I would very much, I would very much have a problem with that. I, yeah, yeah and a lot of people do, which is why they don't do it now. But is it unconstitutional? The courts right now have not said it is. I'm. It may be, but I, I. The thing is, I don't know. There's no precedent to back that up. Okay, but I'm just, I'll just ask you, based on the First Amendment, you don't think having church services in, uh, the, in a state legislature 
is endorsing that religion? My gut tells me yes. <laughs> I, would, I, would I don't, say I don't know the legal analysis behind it, so I can't give you a solid answer. But like the uh, yelling scholar, so just use your understanding of the word endorse. Yeah. So based off that, yes. Yeah, if we if we have to all have legal analysis for all of these, this is this would be a we're gonna have to scrap this. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Fair enough. Professor, um, Professor Borelli, if you watch this. <laughs> I'm trying my best here. Um, yeah, yeah. I well, I'm gonna add one thing. Not even really, no, nothing crazy. I I um like for for and this kind of involves a different case too. Uh, but as far as the main case goes, um, where they decided to like include religious schools and the vouchers that they were giving out for, um, you know, to, to schools in case you didn't have a home school in your in your local area or local jurisdiction or whatever. Um, I, I kept like, um, I, I, I thought that was a reasonable decision because I thought like giving funding to private schools that weren't, that weren't religious, but not to ones that were religious was discouraging religion. Um, and I invoked the lemon test a bunch of times to defend it. And then I, and then I read about the, um, the prayer coach decision and it was like, this completely gets rid of the lemon test. And I was like, I was like, oh, really? man um yeah so maybe i'll have to find a different defense for the uh the main or, or, or come think the lemon test has been, conclusion. i don't think the lemon test has been cited in a case opinion in like 50 years at least if not more well i learned about it in ap gov so that was yeah my, but I, I, it hasn't been used recently i think it's like yeah kind of been like hush hushed uh quiet for a bit until now yeah Sorry, sorry to interrupt this excellent banter, but I do need to head out. Yeah, All right. yeah. Well, you guys want, want to continue? Don't let me, you know, like end the podcast if you guys want. Oh, to I'm, I am happy to leave. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. I'm, um, Thank you guys uh, so much for having me on. Uh, this thanks is great. for coming. I'd love, I, I, I'd love to do it again. Honestly, it was we, so we much fun. Will definitely have you back. This is so much fun. I, I had a blast. Um, Amazing. No, I really did have a great time. So yeah, we'll hang on. We'll definitely have the have this again. This was fun, right. um, but yeah, Isaac, I guess uh, I guess you gotta go. So yeah, have a, have a good one, Isaac. Yeah, thank you for listening, folks. All right, guys, that was um, that was a great conversation. Isaac had to leave the studio, aka <laughs> leave leave the Zoom Zoom room that we're in. Um, that and not just because we ran out of time for the fourth time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, but. But because yeah, he had he had to leave. Um, Apparently, one twenty eight a.m. is too late for him. No, we're not, we weren't there for that long. But we were talking for a while. But it was a fun conversation. That was a ton of fun. Um, I can imagine a lot of people listening to this podcast like actually going insane because it was like incredibly dense and like. Uh, but but no, it, it like I would have had fun listening to this conversation. I think because it was a great conversation. It was super interesting for me. Um, I, I have a lot to think about, frankly, um, as far as like, you know, reassessing some of my opinions, because, uh, because no, Isaac brings up great points. You also brought up great points. Like, I, I um, yeah, no, definitely some things I'll have to think about, but it, it was, um, it was a really good conversation. I had a lot of fun. I think we're going to have him back, obviously, because that was great. That was a ton of fun. Um, but yeah, no, so glad that we could have Isaac on for the podcast. It was super cool to have a guest on, uh, especially Isaac. Um, 
and uh yeah and in a special fifth episode too so that was yeah that was great um all of any takes from uh everyone around everyone involved yeah we had some really crazy takes on, on this <laughs> podcast which is which is pretty fun honestly and um i don't know I, uh, a lot of um no, that was cool. I hopefully this serves an example of how you can like have a fun conversation and not agree on everything with each other. And and honestly, you still even have some pretty extreme opinions and still get along. Uh, I thought it was a great time. Um, I have um, no, I have a lot of respect for Isaac because he comes to the CC reps meetings, which are not not an easy thing to do as someone who doesn't share opinions like with. Yeah, since I was a freshman first joined, Isaac came to pretty much every meeting. There was like the occasional one where he had a conflict, but uh, he if he had time to be there, he would be there. And yeah, which is impressive. I conversation with a room full of conservatives, uh, which is bold. And which is really bold. I mean, like, it's one thing to be able to engage in like a fun conversation with like a couple people. Like, I don't think this podcast is it serves as a great example of like how insane it is to be able to talk to someone with other people. But when you're in a room full of people that disagree with you, that's tough. Like that's hard to do. Um, but no, Isaac, Isaac did it. So yeah, no, that was fun though. It was cool. Pete, sorry, I kind of cut you off there, Pete. But yeah, no. I mean that that was pretty much what I was gonna say. Um, yeah, loads of respect of Isaac for do that. We had in that club, we had so many great conversations, and um, I'm glad we were finally able to get it on a recording on a podcast. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll definitely. To- Definitely. And a lot of, a lot of like places where I kind of, I don't know. Yeah. Check my opinions, I guess. Cause yeah, Isaac does, he brings up good points, but no, I had a ton of fun. Um, I hope you guys had fun. Uh, remember to subscribe and listen to the whole thing through and um, you know, uh, uh, yeah. You know, read the articles, tell your friends. Um and- Possibly by the next podcast, we might have an exciting announcement coming up soon. Uh, we'll keep you guys. Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah, perhaps. Hopefully, hopefully soon. I don't know when when we would, but yeah, yeah. Hopefully soon. Um, and and yeah, yeah, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, we will. Contrarian is just getting started. You're gonna want to want to stick around. We will catch you guys. Wait, yeah, we will catch you guys in the next cast. It's my nickname. Just kidding. We're going to catch you guys in the next podcast, in the next episode.